on tonight's episode arsenal show steel as city effect of steel leeds living up to their name in the last minute while it's a bad evening for united also the world cup is here and we're very excited this is the talk about the podcast hello hello people and we are back addressing the elephant in the room uh, two losses to chelsea and i'm still here still alive not very happy but still here uh, talky point of the week for me is the fact that the world cup is not too far off so my misery will probably end in a week's time maybe after this game week i can stop focusing on chelsea for a while uh, but in terms of talky points for the people who've actually been able to watch some football uh, this past week uh, rk you want to start us off what's your talky point of the week not been a great week for united as well uh, so uh, like my talky uh, moment of the week will be away from the premier league i think i would go for antony's uh, celebration at home when he you know got to know that he was in the brazil squad that was pretty fun okay and uh, talking of uh, clubs who've not had a good week uh, ab did you have any any luck <laughs> uh no so my talky moment of the week is also the fact that we have the world cup starting i don't I'm on a podcast and we're going to talk about club football, but I wish I didn't have. <laughs> exactly, exactly. As Ratha referenced last week, uh, we do have someone who's actually going to the World Cup. So Ashwin, you must definitely have something better and something more optimistic than what we have to look forward to. I'm I'm so looking forward to the World Cup. Like I I booked my tickets six months back and I'm uh, cheering for Portugal. but my talky moment of the week similar to rk it's not going to be a united one um it's going to be a uh, uh, this, this this video that was posted in our group uh, about uruguay announcing their world cup squad i think it was a really nice touch uh, so that's i'm going going for that yeah. hmm. so there's just one guy left and uh, he is the only supporter whose team had any success in the last week so i'm assuming we finally have something related to club football as a talky point radha uh good evening guys i actually don't have a <laughs> liverpool talky moment uh, there are just so many talky moments of this this game week i absolutely loved this game week i was thinking about somerville um Tillemans with yet another goal of the season contender, but I'll go with Olise's interview. I'm not sure if you guys uh, heard the interview. It's one of the best interviews you will hear all week. It's like Haaland times hundred. I think in three questions uh, he had a nine-word answer across all three. And um, so, for example, okay. one of the questions was, "Can you talk us through the goal?" And his answer was, "Yeah." So uh, Wilf passed me the ball. I shot, uh, scored. Yeah. Right. So um, I know the World Cup is just around the corner, and as many of us already have been bitten by the World Cup fever, but we still have some club football to get through. And unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your uh, club loyalties, I guess uh, we will start with uh, Chelsea and Arsenal. And uh, I am flying blind here because I have not been able to see any football for the past ten days. explaining my absence last week as well but uh, what was your take from i can go uh, maybe i can get us started started on a positive note before we move to the chelsea fan in the house um, but um, i think the one standout moment for me in this entire game was um, arsenal playing the ball around with so much nonchalance and control uh, without even like uh, breaking a sweat at the bridge and mean thinking that this didn't feel very out of out of the ordinary i think that's one uh, one way to describe how far arsenal have come um, it's not of course chelsea didn't have the best game but uh, arsenal are now playing at a level where this is almost expected so great stuff from them i still don't think they'll be able to pip city for the league because they because of city's experience down the stretch i think it will come but they're the real deal this season they're out of the league cup now uh, they're not in the champions league so they'll have a lot of time to rest and rotate so i maybe they can surprise me and maybe they can pull it off anything about chelsea <laughs> many things about chelsea 
Okay, I'll start off more measured and then we'll see where it goes. Okay, <laughs> so uh, I see we don't have the best squad. We don't have uh, we have a lot of injuries. Blah blah blah. That's all the logical stuff. There's a lot of mitigating factors to in explaining Chelsea's bad form. That said, man, the quality of forward players on display at the club is just horrendous, right? And uh, the moment you take a James and a Kante out of the squad for whatever period of time, the quality drop is just so significant. I mean, the quality of forward play is so bad. Such bad decision-making. Sterling, Havertz, Aubameyang. It's just horrible. Like, if I had to single one guy out, it's Kai Havertz. I mean, the fact that we paid 71 million for that clown is just... It breaks my heart, right? He's such an ordinary player. He has moments of quality. Uh, he... You know, when you give him space, he'll take a shot. He's likely to get it on target. He might even score. But in the Premier League, nobody's going to give you time to nicely wind up your left foot and then take a nice curling shot into the corner. I think Potter can only do so much with what he's got. And he's give, and he himself came out and said, like, I've had like no very little time to train and push some of the ideas through to the squad. So, I'm looking forward to the World Cup to give guys a break. To give the guys a break. To give Potter a break. But um, I think the quality of... Uh, some of these players is just horrendous. As usual, we've made some bad buys. We keep doing that summer after summer after summer. Uh, and so, we end up in a state where, as you and I were talking, we are always in transition. Because we are we are not just replacing players who are coming to the end of their life at Chelsea. We are replacing players who we bought last season, then we realize they're not good enough. So, we are always in transition, right? So, I think there's a long way to go for Chelsea to... Uh, get back into some kind of contention for those top spots. Uh, a lot of selling and buying. And uh, like I said on the group also, I was quietly hopeful that maybe we could sneak fourth given uh, some of the other teams and how they've been uh, uh, dropping points like Liverpool and United and so on. Uh, although, of course, on the pod, I'll always say we'll finish second or third. But uh, yeah, I think, I think yeah. now even outwardly, I'll admit that I don't think we're going to reach the top four. But yeah, just coming back to uh, coming back to the Arsenal game, it's just it was one of the most insipid performances I've ever seen from a Chelsea team. Uh, extremely average across all areas of the pitch. It's just, uh, uh, you know, Radha said that uh, he didn't find it so much of a surprise or it didn't surprise him so much to see Arsenal playing so confidently at the pitch. He didn't look out of place. Um I have to also say that uh, Chelsea playing as timidly is, is also not looking so out of place right now. It's not surprising me, it's surprising me or surprising any of us anymore. <laughs> yeah, and um, I think we might have a lot of questions about um, what we think is wrong and what can be done better. But I can see two grinning United supporters with their hands up waiting to say something. He was pretty clear about his feelings about Chelsea. But I want to talk a bit about Arsenal here as well. Um, I think we're probably not giving credit to Arsenal and the way they've been playing. They had around 14 shots um, uh, at goal uh, compared to, I think, five of Chelsea. So, they, they they were attacking Chelsea quite a bit. They had really good passage of play as well. And I, I in this time, I re- remember one of the quotes that I think Pep Guardiola, Guardiola made and it was around, uh, don't continuously move the ball make the opponent move. So, I think that's what Arsenal do really well. They found those spaces. They they were, you know, running into the um, channels really well and they created the space to get those get those chances. So, I think some credit is due for Arsenal as well. And coming back to some of the comments that I've made about, you know, failing forwards, it's, it's, not, it's not something that we have not seen previously at Chelsea. I think a lot of the forwards that have gone to Chelsea have, have failed as well. It is a new team under a new manager. So, I think we need to give them the time to succeed as well. I think Potter hasn't found his best 11, like I said last time. Uh, so, I think if anyone is looking forward to the World Cup, it's probably you, Chelsea folks. One of the things I was looking forward to from the game was how Oba was going to play against his old club. I thought there would be some emotion, something to prove. But the way that Oba played was completely the opposite of that. Uh, he just had four touches in the first half. And I and at the start of the second half, the only interventions that he seemed to have 
I think were in clearing corners or something. Uh, I did not expect such an insipid performance uh, from Aubameyang. Uh, I think I'm going to place the blame on this one solely on Swag. A couple of weeks ago, uh, he came out with a talky moment of the week for a Chelsea number nine scoring two weeks in a row or something like that. I think he's uh, gone and done the good old jinx on Oba. I was looking forward to a fiery Oba celebration in front of Arteta. Uh, it was it was quite insipid, yeah, right? Uh, pretty pretty poor game from him all around. Yeah, you would have thought that he had something to prove, but obviously not. And um, as I was saying to up before we started, uh, I'll I'll share the blame with uh, the Chelsea Twitter admin who before uh, the Brighton game posted a link of uh, what Graham Potter's results had been up to that point, which were draw win, draw win, basically no losses till that point. And ever since we haven't won a game and rather we've lost three so in a row. Just one last point and uh, which is, you know, I spoke a lot about the forward and I kind of singled them out for uh, some of their, uh, uh, some of their uh, horrendous play. But I think uh, uh, one thing that has to be addressed at the club is that midfield. There's a huge hole in that midfield uh, and we have just sort of kicked the can down the road. It's, you know, the club has taken an attitude of, yeah, Kante misses half the season every season, but, uh, you know, we'll just put Loftus-Cheek in there till Kante comes back and everything will be fine. That's And it's just a, that's a complete lack of planning and foresight from uh, some of the higher-ups and I think uh, if with, without that getting addressed, I don't think... Uh, no amount of players in the forward positions is going to really improve the state of it. The competition for Arsenal seems to be only City as we keep talking about. And we still feel that City is going to pip them to the line because it's City. It's that well-oiled machine. And they just snuck a win, right? Uh, I mean, an injury time penalty from Haaland giving lots of relief to all his fantasy owners as well as uh, his teammates because Fulham, I, I think I'm correct in saying they gave them quite a good fight. But uh, despite that, it wasn't to be. Yeah, so some champions uh, display, I think, from Arsenal against Chelsea, the way they control the game. They really looked the part, but there's some real champion stuff from City. Ten men for a long time in the game. I don't think uh, they kept Fulham quite at bay. Uh, they couldn't land a punch on them even though they had 10 men. They were controlling the game. They didn't create much either. City were not at their best at all and they didn't create too many chances. Haaland had that header and uh, all, almost as soon as he came on, which was ruled out for offside, then got the penalty, which by the way, for me, one of the softest penalties you'll ever see. Um, there was contact, I guess. So he's asking the referee to make a decision, but uh, it's a pretty soft contact and a pretty soft penalty. Uh, I've, the previous penalties that Haaland took uh, were uh, really, really like the bullet penalties. I was ex- expecting one of those. I think he felt a bit of the nerves as well. And you could see it in his celebration, taking the shirt off, running to the bench. Um, he has that kind of fire and desire to prove something which uh, actually uh, it doesn't look like some of the others in world football like Mbappe and some of the other stars. He looks like he's trying to prove something which is also strange because he's on fire. Yeah, I have a slightly different view on Fulham. Yeah, City were not great, but I thought Fulham were like too scared of them. Uh, when you go to the Etihad and everyone expects you to lose, you set up in a certain way. And suddenly City went out to 10 men and I don't think Fulham had a plan for that kind of a situation where they were like, okay, now we have to play against 10 men. We might want to get on the front foot a little bit. They had no such plans, so they were extremely timid. Right, moving on. I think uh, Radha has been jumping to talk about uh, a particular game. And it's not the Liverpool game. Surprise of surprise. It's Leeds game, which they won 4-3. And they seem to have made a habit of uh, late finishes and uh, pulling off victories. This Ted Lassoism of uh, Jesse Marsh is uh, finally in full flow. eh? I'm loving the chaos. I think uh, we saw a bit of it, not so much, we saw a bit of it at the end uh, in the Liverpool game uh, when they brought in Nyonto and uh, and Somerville was also on the pitch. Um, and now the same thing, the same two guys, uh, really, really exciting football from the two of them. And uh, Greenwood, uh, shouldn't miss him out, Sam Greenwood. So three 20, 19 to 21-year-old players that have come into the team and really lit, lit the scene on fire. 
um, pace attacking direct running you could see by the end of it that the the, the sheer legs and energy on their uh, on these three were like outrunning uh, bournemouth and um, it was a really amazing game to watch every week we seem to be having these games of the season but um, uh, they the crowd was just like just incredible it was goosebumps all over the place uh, they were booing when the second goal went in and the third goal went in from bournemouth and then suddenly when the equalizer happened i've never heard anything that loud and when the winner happened just all hell broke loose uh, so it was just the a great scene with the kids kind of carrying them over the place and they're going to concede three they're going to concede four but with these kids they're at least going to be super exciting to watch i hope these two continue to start um they it's just great television yeah summer will winning the autumn for uh, leeds there and uh, finally uh, to end this part uh, a, a nervy second half for liverpool rada and uh, yet pulling off the victory as you predicted yeah so to be fair uh, i did expect them to come out and do well in this game uh, i think son losing son and uh, well i have to I have a score to settle with uh, ashwin he said kulusevski won't be available uh, he came on and i think in within some 90 seconds uh, opened up the game for spurs uh, so yeah without these guys i was expecting uh, uh, us to do well and win the game i think we were really really good in the first half Rode our luck at the end. Uh, clearly, we are not we are not the clinical side that we were in the past. We're still trying to get our uh, mojo back and get our confidence back. Games like this will only help. Uh, very lucky at the end to hold on, but uh, superb, superb result going into a very tough time. Uh, just clear on Spurs. I didn't see. I saw only a few minutes of this game, so I won't get into a lot of detail. But um, you know, I said that I said early on that Spurs will do as Spurs and. you know their early season forms kind of deceptive uh like when they do turn up against the big teams they don't turn up against the big teams so they kind of uh, fade away uh and uh i mean they may still do enough to sneak fourth based on their results at home especially against the bottom half teams but it won't be because they were outstanding it will probably be because united chelsea and liverpool drop a lot of points along the way so uh Uh, Spurs, man, you know Spurs are Spurs, right? So they'll continue to goof up somewhere or the other. There has been a good improvement in solidity uh, for Liverpool in the last couple of games, though. They uh, are probably going back to the formation that they like. Uh, uh, that seems to have helped them, and uh, like it, like things are uh, at least for me, it's stabilizing a bit more than what it used to be. Uh, probably. a sign of things to come and uh, with the world cup break coming in maybe they would use that base to start off better as well after it yeah i i i said so last week i i i feel that both liverpool and spurs this season have been very sluggish so it would have come down to um some moments of brilliance and it was billed as a kane versus salah contest and it turned out to be just that uh i i agree with radha salah i mean there's just no words to describe describe his greatness one chance and he scores right like that's what he did and uh, that's what he's been doing all season as as well uh, i think I, i was surprised as well that kolosevsky uh, came on um, but also i feel that it wasn't like it, 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 he there's obviously he uses out quality there's you know he you know he can change the game but i feel while liverpool were hanging towards the end, towards the end um i felt that you know it it is like liverpool did ha- ultimately have more shots uh compared to spurs and they were playing away from home uh so it was it wasn't the most it wasn't the most uh competitive game to watch but that's that's just that just goes to show where these two teams currently are and um i think the finally now we are trying to uh, be we are able to understand how the league is positioned there are two teams which are definitely going to fight it out for the title in arsenal and city that used to be liverpool and city but it's arsenal and city this time around and then you have the rest will be fighting it out for the um you know, you know the next two next two spots and it will all come down to how many points you drop against each other um so um 
yeah that's how that's how we are shaped up bringing part 1 to a close here and in part 2 we'll finish off the weekend's analysis and what lies ahead and it's no longer a surprise but it's still a quiz okay so welcome back and uh, in part 2 we are starting off with our usual staple which is the quiz and uh, since we have so much content to get through we're just doing a small quiz this week and it's a higher or lower i'll i'll give you a stat and you need to tell me for the premier league whether this out of these two players who is higher so like f- the first one in terms of number of appearances is phil nevel higher or jamie carragher higher phil nevel jamie carragher phil nevel i'm going to go nevel as well it's phil nevel uh, 508 to 505 clean sheets pepe rena or david de gea pepe rena ஒன்ல Defoe. Yeah, Defoe is like, I think, Defoe. fourth, fifth or sixth. Definitely Jermaine. <laughs> okay, it is Jermaine Defoe and it's uh, 163 to 162. It's pretty close. Uh, so just, oh. I mean, the, the fifth and sixth. So, yeah. These are actually quite close. I thought like yeah. Jermaine Defoe just because of his longevity and like number of clubs he has played in. I thought yeah, I've, 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 tried to, I've tried to keep the close ones here. Okay, uh, assists. and this one's an intriguing one it's like again length of career or uh, performance so in terms of assists is james milner higher or david beckham higher james milner beckham beckham james milner it's this one's not close funnily enough uh, milner has 87 beckham has 80 milner will be here long after we are <laughs> okay uh, goals robi keen or nikola anelka ரோபிகின்ரோபிகின்ரோபிகின்ரோபிகின்ரோபிகின்ரோபிகின்ரோபிகின்ரோபிகின்ரோபிகின்ரோபிகின்ரோபிகின்ரோபிகின்ரோப
Qatar is the winner. We all know this. Yeah, Someone but is did, making sure did, their visa doesn't get cancelled. <laughs> did anyone uh, read about uh, Blatter saying that uh, it was a mistake to award uh, Qatar the World Cup? I just read that headline. Had, haven't had time to read it. But did he actually say that? Yeah, and of all the reasons the that he chose for that, the reason was it's a very small country. That's the only reason he had for that. <laughs> I didn't read the article, but I read the headline, and the first thing I thought of is maybe he's already spent all the money. <laughs> right. Uh, the uh, coming back to the weekend of football, I liked particularly Radha's slide dig when he wished us all a good evening, because Man United did not have one. It was a bad evening, and one which they have atoned for yesterday with uh, two quick-fire goals at the end of the League Cup, but uh, in the one that probably mattered slightly more, um, that was definitely a bad evening. Yeah, uh, I think I paid for my jinx, or uh, did Ashwin, uh, you know, pay for, uh, like, his, uh, you know, him calling Villa home ground, I don't know. It was a rather embarrassing performance all round. I uh, We were talking of insipid, when we talked of Chelsea, I, I think, uh, United were also, uh, you know, equally, almost equally insipid. Uh, that was the worst performance coming in a long time. I certainly didn't expect that before going into the game. Uh, it's uh, uh, like, uh, like probably after the first couple of games that this kind of a work ethic or this kind of desire was shown on the pitch. Uh, very ordinary game. I can't even think of, you know, any highlights. Uh, on the ball, off the ball, organization and the kind of goals that we conceded I think left a lot to be desired, even from uh, players that we had come to expect would, you know, hold very high standards. Uh, even people like Casemiro made mistakes during the game, especially the goal after uh, at the start of the second half when United seemed to be making, you know, slowly making their way back or like luckily making their way back into the game with that very, uh, very uh, coincidental goal from Luke Shaw. Uh, it was very poor defending on the break from a Casemiro as well, which allowed them to take the 3-1 lead and then it was just a dead, kind of like a dead game. I mean, it's the same cycle again, right? Like, we have seen this with Ole as well. And I know I'm not saying by any means that Ole is anyway close to Ten Hag when it comes to tactics, but these players can throw the manager under the bus and we... And we <laughs> this by now, right? So, um, I... I... I really don't know when this erratic cycle will end. Uh, I mean, we, we, we show time and again that we, we are not a club worthy of a top four finish because it's like we don't, we, we don't want to proceed and we don't want to succeed. Uh, I mean, I can, I can call out multiple players. Uh, I know the focus would be on Cristiano Ronaldo. I'm sure RK would have his guns out uh, uh, ready to shoot him down. I know he missed a lot. He missed a couple of chances, but it's 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 the defending as well for me. Like Victor Lindelof. I mean, I don't know. I I really don't know what what he brings. Uh, he has some really good games, and then he goes missing. Uh, the first two goals that Villa scored, they were quick fire goals, and the moment I I the moment I I saw this that second goal go in I knew that United won't come back because this is not a team that can bloody come back and like get three goals from two goals down it's it's just not it's just not our team and uh, we have seen some progress with Ten Hag but like we we are not a team that scores a lot of goals anyways I would want to make a point about Cristiano Ronaldo I know I'm a bit biased when it comes to him but like he has been missing a lot of headers. He has been uh, making. He has been slowing the team down uh, quite a bit. It's it's not the style of play that he is used to. Uh, at least not not at this age. He we can't. We just can't expect him to press. And Ten Hag wants his team to press from the front. And that's 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 not that's not going to happen with him. Um, so yeah, it's uh, another three points dropped. Yeah, uh, like the Bruno suspension didn't help United. Uh... Because Van de Beek had a terrible game playing at number 10. I thought, except barring a few five or six minutes at either side of halftime, he was not at all in the game as it's been the case for the last few years. Even with Ten Hag, that story continues. Rashford had to play on the right this game because Anthony and Sancho, uh, uh, you know, both were 
uh, you know, not available and uh, like both Rashford and Sancho that again on the right, it's obvious why, you know, we spent so much money to get uh, Anthony because we don't really have too many viable alternatives out there. Garnajo had, a, uh, you know, a, he did show a few positives uh, for United in the game. Uh, but of course, like the whole attack completely, I mean, the whole team was misfiring, but the attack continues to misfire whenever a certain Cristiano Ronaldo is there in the team. Uh, slowing us down in attack, standing on other people's feet, not doing enough of the ball and, you know, that causes us so many problems structurally in defence. And it was obvious in midweek, he didn't play well and United scored four goals. Things were much more fluid, especially in the second half. The point which uh, Ashwin said about, you know, players putting Ten Hag under the bus, last Sunday was a kind of performance which really worried me. I know you mentioned Cristiano Ronaldo and like his misses and him, you know, getting in between uh, the runs that other people make. But I, I also feel it's it's... It's not. It's very easy to pinpoint fingers at just one person. It's it's the team. Like it's just not. It's not just Cristiano Ronaldo. Like uh, I know Anthony Martial is back now. So let's see if Ten Hag has the balls to you know uh, uh, drop Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, he has got his World Cup uh, 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 you know call. So uh, if Anthony Martial is playing and if the team clicks. Uh, with the kind of football that he wants his team to play, which apparently Cristiano Ronaldo is not able to provide, then uh, then I would be happy to eat my words. But I feel that it's really easy to just pinpoint fingers. To award a captaincy to Ronaldo after all that happened, and uh, I thought Ten Hag was at the strongest moment in terms of bargaining power after what he did earlier to Ronaldo in terms of the punishment. He showed him who's boss, and then trying to... It, this seems like, you know, trying to win him back over uh, when that shouldn't actually be required uh, with a player of his mentality. You you try to, uh, you know, uh, there are different ways of man management and some people will justify it, but I don't think, you know, that was a justifiable action because of what Ronaldo has been, uh, you know, costing him in terms of his team. And I completely agree to the, you know, team dynamic thing, but it's fairly... Also obvious to see what certain individual players bring to that team dynamic. Uh, we should also analyze, you know, the season. For example, Ronaldo's record, uh, United's record with and without Ronaldo, and it's also fairly obvious to see how it affects Ten Hag's style of play. So I do, I think it's a bit counterfactual to say that Ronaldo doesn't affect, or you know, the whole team is to blame. Of course, the whole team is to blame, but it's very obvious to see how Ronaldo affects the team negatively. But but then we don't have a striker, right? So once we have a striker, let's just blame. Uh, let's just blame. Uh, you know, let's look at that stat. At this point in time, we don't have a person who can lead the line. So it is Ten Hag's fault. It is not Cristiano Ronaldo's fault. If Ten Hag wants to be a f- and like not sucking, and he's sucking up to uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, that's his problem. That's not Ronaldo's problem. So I think I think before we do this lazy analysis of just blaming. Uh, it on one person. We should really look at our manager, who is clearly not able to stand up to, uh, you know, a legend like Cristiano Ronaldo. I mean, if he, I mean, if he really wants to make a point, he should drop him. He hasn't done that. And uh, I mean, I'm very surprised with even Ten Hag uh, lately. He's been starting Donny Van Der Beek, even though he has not been having really good games. Um, so I, 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 I worry a bit because I've been told that. Eric Ten Hag is probably one of the greatest tactician out there, at least with the current set of managers that are that is available. Uh, but um, like over the last two games, I'm 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 really worried, you know, with the so-called tactics that uh, and the so-called decisions or the indecisions that uh, Eric Ten Hag has been employing. I'm, I told you, I warned you last time, RK. I warned you. You're tempting karma <laughs> with your with your ridiculous jinxing. Screw you, RK. Screw you and your. I think at some level that is a deserved jibe that I got. But, you know, before we move on from United, uh, I don't think Ten Hag has been a or he's cozying up to Ronaldo as such. I mean, the captaincy decision was a bit bewildering. But other than that, I think he's uh, done all right with Ronaldo. He he did awesome with him at the start. But, uh, of course, uh, also with the tactics in the last two games, I agree uh, with what Ashwin said. Uh, it has been a bit surprising some of the tactics, but uh, I mean I think 
also that Ashwin kind of agreed when he said that it's not Ronaldo's fault that he's playing. Uh, so I think you kind of accept the point that he is bringing uh, the team problems and you also uh, would be able to appreciate the fact that when he isn't playing and a lot of it was because we don't have players available, we haven't had Martial available, we don't have Anthony available, we don't we didn't have Sancho available for a long time. So, I mean, I, I, I don't blame Ten Hag for having to play Ronaldo. Yeah, that, that was a fun discussion and... <laughs> I, I absolutely have no idea who's uh, winning this war between uh, Ten Hag and uh, Ronaldo. But maybe he's cozying up to Ronaldo because uh, a certain Spanish team is going to be coming to Old Trafford in, in the coming months against whom Ronaldo seems to have a good record. Let's see. Time will tell. But uh, yeah, uh, apart from this, Newcastle also continued on their merry way. They've got another three points. Looking strong, probably the strongest of all the contenders for top four, apart from Arsenal and City, of course, who are the title contenders. Just have to say, I think uh, Hassan finally got hooted. Uh, this this pod, we, we I claim think we need up a for this silence now. <laughs> we we jinxed it. We jinxed it sufficiently. Uh, we even coined a term. I think a minute silence is warranted now for Hassan Oki. Now we are only left with Arteta. <laughs> just, just uh, you know, just for all our viewers, rest assured that we had this minute silence. Just that swag will be, you know, cutting that out when the episode comes. And talking of January transfer window, I think there might be a new set of owners uh, in place at Liverpool as well to do some big splurgy spending. Yeah, uh, we finally got to that. I actually had forgotten about it. I was actually really disappointed. I still am. Uh, I think these owners are pretty good. I don't have any problems with them and I've generally enjoyed the this ownership a lot. I'm not looking forward to this whole chaos and it can go anyway. It can go really badly as well. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it'll be like this whole reality show kind of thing that happened for Chelsea where the fans get to know what the owners want to do and stuff. I don't know. But uh, that'll be, I guess, interesting, but it's not something that I want. I would much rather we keep the stability and uh, keep going as is. It would be nice if uh, Elon Musk came in at Liverpool, fired <laughs> half the guys, and then realized that he needs to put eleven players on the pitch, and so brings them back quickly. That would be fun to watch. Just given, also, just given what, given what all is going on on the groups right now, I knew an Elon Musk comment, a shout is going to come in uh, soon for sure. But just before we start uh, talking about the World Cup, uh, the Champions League and Europa League draws happened, and. Uh, which is the tie that stands out for you? I mean, across all all these draws. Yeah, for me, it was. Uh, I mean, it's the 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 Europa League draw. It's uh, United versus Barcelona. I, I I said it in the pod last week. It was it was the it was the tie I I was hoping for. I know RK is not very happy with it, but I I'm really looking forward to uh, a United Barcelona uh, Europa League match. But uh, uh, apart, like if we if we speak about the Champions League one, Liverpool Madrid obviously stands out for me. Um, I think uh, with the form that Madrid are at the moment and the form that Liverpool are at the moment, it it seems like it is it is going to be a Madrid win. But you never know in like two three months time, especially post the World Cup, what's going to happen. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. So at, at the World Cup, I don't think because whoever does have a World Cup problem, I think it's two months after the World Cup. So they should be well rested and recovered. So even that hope for me is gone. Uh, literally, the last team that I would have wanted in the draw was Real Madrid. In fact, I think we discussed it uh, on last week's pod as well. We also discussed uh, United getting Barcelona. So I think we have a little bit of a talent uh, on that, the other draw that's really uh, that I'm really looking forward to, of course, is PSG Bayern. I think this is where the Farmers League credentials. Uh, who's the bigger farmer of the biggest farmer of them all? I think that's the matchup. Uh, PSG v Bayern is going to be uh, awesome. I guess all the other clubs in Europe can only look at these ties and think that okay, two of these really big teams are going to go out uh, in the round of 16. So that's always a good place to be if you're Man City, if you're Chelsea and any of the other uh, top clubs in Europe. So, um, But yeah, some incredible games to look forward to. Look, these draws are completely fixed uh, and people were calling me out for jinxing. 
but this is what they do they know which fixtures to milk and they keep milking those fixtures psg bayern is also not you know it's not a new fixture <laughs> psg bayern is the eric maxim chupomoting derby i'm i'm just looking forward to uh, I, t- i said it last week i'm really looking forward to this barca united uh, tie uh, and i don't know how the jinxes are going to work on this one uh, there's equal point equal parts jinxing equal parts hatred for uh, uh, some of the barcelona players who aren't quite united players so yeah this is going to be really fun to like be on the group during that tie ab uh, we we've got uh, dortmund and obviously i would say probably a similar level team in terms of squad depth and capability particularly with the f- with folks like bellingham and uh, mukoko around so uh, i'm looking forward to this one i don't think we have ever played dortmund in the champions league in all the years of the champions league i may be mistaken but at least in the 20 something years that i've been watching we've never played dortmund okay uh that brings us to the end of part 2 and in part 3 we'll be talking about something which is looming on the horizon the world cup okay and in part 3 finally we are here the world cup is here and we might not be going or we might even be going if ashwin gets his tickets but we are obviously all very excited about the world cup that's happening even though it's ha- happening at a weird time of the year and uh, the england squad just got announced yesterday so what what are the first thoughts i mean what stands out the most surprising thing for me uh, was calvin phillips barely played uh, this season and suddenly finds his way back uh, or finds his way into the squad southgate will perish you know with his favorites we and he has a few more of those yeah for me as well i think uh, F- uh, philips uh, being in, uh, included in the squad was at first a bit surprising because like he has been injured quite a, quite a bit uh, or has he even played a game i'm, I'm not even sure um, I, i know he has his favorites uh, and also there are a few injury issues that england have had um but it doesn't seem to be the most well balanced squad for me i also feel the left back situation is a bit wonky um like there's only one uh recognized left back in that team uh aside from that i really feel very bad for ivan tony not making into the english english squad there were some stats that i had shared in the tokitaka uh uh page uh, as well uh, i think ivan tony assists starts are through the roof as well so i i feel that um he should have been included in this in the squad you can tell right that this guy is a real um, meritocracy kind of guy clearly um the way he's been treating that whole full back position the way he's been uh, just you know giving only uh, the guys who have a really good go in the premier league teams a, a chance like calvin phillips yeah clearly southgate is the the ideal manager for any top team uh, i'm a little bit more concerned see first of all let me put it out there england are just too boring for me i cannot get behind this team there uh, they were good defensively in the euros uh, but largely against inferior teams uh their inability or uh, lack of intent to score a second goal eventually cost them and i don't think they've changed a lot they will continue to dominate set pieces they were i think all through the world cup qualifying number one in set piece goals uh but their defense is not the defense that was there in the euros like we saw in the nations league they are a leaky defense right now and their defenders individually are not having the best time at club level either on the plus side i think jude bellingham will be a great positive because calvin phillips hopefully doesn't play and jude is actually a t- great transitional player and will bring something in attack foden saka madison and trent off the bench being the x factors i think they are good signs but overall i don't see england getting too far in this as you mentioned radha uh, bellingham seems to be an interesting pick and okay let's say it's phillips or it's rice but i hope bellingham starts because he's shown quite a lot of leadership uh potential at dortmund and ashwin can back me up on this uh, being the farmers league representative and uh, he should bring a bit of steel to this england team who will obviously be a bit low on confidence because their defense is obviously not going to be in tip top shape 
So you need someone there because he's been bigging up his teammates at the club level as well. He'll probably need to be that sort of a person for uh, his national team too. I think the last thing they need is some more steel. I think they could do with a little bit of mercury, some fluidity. They're an absolutely steely, boring team. I think Jude will give them something different though. What's what's in store for the left back and right back positions where he's got people like Trent who he doesn't trust at all at left back there's no cover apart from Luke Shaw. I think if he, if he's going to uh, place his trust on someone who's as uh, inconsistent as Luke Shaw for left back, then uh, God save the king, right? Uh, it's it's. <laughs> It's, it, I mean, it, like Radha mentioned earlier, it's not the same defense that we saw in the Euros, like, um, uh, or 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 the or the World Cup, pre, uh, uh, you know, just preceding that as well. Uh, uh, the right back situation, he has Trippier, he has Walker, he has Trent. So I I think his England are fairly secure there. But on the left side, if the plan is to play, uh, I don't know, like Walker on the uh, on the left hand side it's not it's not it's something that he has done for city as well at some point but it's still not very clear as to what uh, southgate southgate is planning to do uh, on the left uh, on on the left back situation yeah it looks like uh, like a clear case of you know i mean trippier will probably start on the right uh, shaw on the left and then uh, Trent acts as a substitute for either of those players is what it looks like is going to happen. Uh, but yeah, England, you know, I know a few episodes back I said that, you know, when the England squad comes out, we should discuss it on the pod. But then I'm like, man, I looked at that. <laughs> it's just such a boring bunch of players. I'm like, let's just move on is what I feel like saying now. But, uh, but yeah, it's just uninspiring. I don't think, uh, I don't think England are going to get very far this World Cup. To be fair, I think they're a good squad. I like the likes of Foden and Saka and Madison and, of course, Kane. But, yeah, with this manager and with their current style of play, you can put any number of good attacking players into that team and they'll still be boring. Yeah, and and that's probably what will define this uh, tournament. And probably Thomas Tuchel is still waiting in Kerala, just waiting for the World Cup to get over and come back and take the reins of the three lines. So that's something we'll keep an eye out on. Maybe our resident uh, Keralites might give us some inside information about this from his forest retreat or wherever he is doing some Ayurvedic treatment. Yeah, if you're watching a World Cup, you could be at many worse places than Kerala. I, I think it's one of the best places to, uh, you know, to, to, uh, like to follow the World Cup. Though, uh, like you will have roads full of big banners and stuff like that. I'm actually really excited. I'm going to be in one of the best football cities of the country. I'm going to be in Goa for the World Cup final. Looking forward to that. Uh, I think it'll be, hopefully, depending on the teams that get there, it'll be an even more incredible occasion. But yeah, here's hoping there's some Brazil action in the final. Yeah, and, and talking about that, uh, who are we thinking about uh, being the front runners? Brazil obviously stands out like a good squad, right? I mean, it stands, like, stands out like the Avengers or something. I think I gave away my hand there with the previous <laughs> comment, but yeah, so it's Brazil for me. I think this is the front, this front line is one of the most salivating ones I've seen in a long time. Even if you go back to uh, some time ago with Ronaldo, Ronaldinho, Rivaldo, they were all magic with the ball at the feet. Um, right now, these guys are a bit of magic with the ball, without the ball at feet as well. They run circles around anybody, they run past anyone in the game. Counter-attacking is going to be just incredible. And they have the skill of Neymar, Paqueta, Anthony to kind of play around uh, deep defending teams as well. Uh, Qualifying, they were just red hot. 45 points in 17 games. The most goals of the qualifying, 40 goals. That was 13 more than Argentina. Least conceded as well. They have a really solid defense with Eder Militao, Marquinhos, Thiago Silva and some decent looking Fullbacks and, of course, the two best goalkeepers in the world as well. So, really strong squad. They've had, um, they don't have too many drama queens. Neymar looks like he's suddenly picked his game up just in time for the World Cup as well. So, yeah, I'm very excited about Brazil this time around. 
I think their uh, continental rivals, uh, Argentina, after a long time, are also looking good. Uh, for a very long period of time, they were too dependent on Messi, and uh, we were all fearing that you know Messi is on his last legs and he's uh, in a uh, like in terminal decline. But that also seems to be uh, reversed this season, as we discussed in the last episode. Uh, they have a very interesting uh, midfield as well. Some of the top uh, you know inform midfielders. Uh, like Enzo Fernandez, for example, Rodrigo De Paul, they have Leandro Paredes, right? Uh, McAllister as well. So uh, attack is uh, is uh, like pretty, uh, you know, a lot of good names there as well uh, around Messi. Uh, some of the old candidates like Di Maria, etc. And defense was a weak point for a long time for Argentina, but uh, probably this time they would have a lineup which will uh, be pretty good for them. Uh, you know. Uh, our very own uh, homegrown Lisandro Martinez, not homegrown, but uh, then you have the likes of Romero, uh, you know, uh, Foyt and Tagliafico as fullbacks. And of course, uh, you could do a lot worse than having Martinez as your goalkeeper in under pressure and in a big tournament. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I think Brazil are definitely uh, favourites to win the cup, closely followed by either Argentina or even France, uh, I would say. Uh, France did not have the best Nations League performance, but let's not forget, like they are still the defending champions, and they when it comes to when it comes to defending, uh, sorry, when it comes to like uh, performing at a important event like the World Cup, like the French uh, do it better than anyone else. So I think let's not let's not forget that you know uh, they've got some really incredible players in their in their squad as well. Um, I I am secretly hoping for an Argentina versus Portugal final. I hope it will be a great great sending off to probably two of the best football players that we have ever seen play in Messi and Ronaldo. But uh, I mean that's I think that's something of a distant dream only. Uh, so yeah, let's see how how things pan out. Not so secret anymore, is it? I think there's uh, more chance of these two getting a sending off than. Uh, that kind of send-off. Uh, France, I think, they're the only team that can compete with Brazil in terms of attack. They have an incredible attack as well. Uh, but I also think they have the best backup striker in the world with Giroud. Uh, he, he's going to be, I think, really, really vital in, in games which are tight and he can change the game. And really, he brings uh, Mbappe into the game so much more than anybody else. Uh, of course, Benzema is great as well. But Mbappe says he loves playing with uh, with Giroud, so that's going to be something to watch out for. But Mbappe is what it comes down to. He's going to make or break it, right? I, he's great, of course, but he's getting that little bit of the drama gene in him. Uh, he's mellowed a bit in the last few weeks, but uh, he's just he's just camphor. He just need to light a match. I'm looking forward to watching the French fry, if you will, in a good old-fashioned meltdown. Yeah, a word on the Iberian neighbours as well. Spain... Uh... Uh, you know, played a very good Euros, a very good structure under Enrique. I I think for me, one of the top contenders uh, is going to be Spain at this World Cup because uh, just because they are so tough to, you know, play against and the kind of uh, team ethic that they have, very few teams seem to have that kind of, uh, you know, uh, synchronization at the international level. Portugal also have you know good players uh, obviously but along with i think france and england probably i always felt that their manager uh, with his style lets the team down and doesn't allow you know the talents which are there in that team to flourish uh, uh, from an emotional uh, point of view uh, you know i think i will also be watching out for denmark very closely uh, they were the most impressive team in terms of their gameplay uh, in terms of the build-up, passing uh, and attacking in the Euros. Uh, and they have sustained their form as well uh, uh, with a few, uh, you know, big scalps. So, I'll uh, like other than Brazil, I will be definitely, you know, gunning for Denmark and Croatia. I think this World Cup will prove to be a bit of the end of the cycle for the previous, uh, you know, World Cup's finalist with so many veterans, uh, like, uh, at their on their last, um, you know, years. So I I think there's never been a better time for a South American team to lift the cup. Um, we always like Brazil coming into a World Cup. Their squad is always exciting, but at some point they run into a European team and it all falls apart. Um, I think the European teams are, as far as their development cycle is concerned, is pr- 
probably in the downward trend for most of them. Uh, I know Spain has recently refreshed the squad. Italy is not even qualified. We spoke about England and so on. But um, I think there's never been a better time for a South American team to lift the cup. I'm going to go with uh, Argentina. Uh, I think... Uh, and this is more heart than head. I think uh, I do want to see Messi lift the cup before he bows out of the game. Is there a chance of a Brazil-Argentina final? Because that will be the most dream-worthy uh, final I think that we can ever have. Uh, just one quick call out. I'm surprised that you didn't. Uh, you, you're not supporting Germany with uh, amazing strikers like Kai Havertz leading the line. I thought that would be a definite uh, up supporting team uh, for this World Cup. He would have done it only if Timo Werner was playing. But since he's picked up an injury, <laughs> <laughs> on that on that note, actually Germany don't look exciting at all. Their their attack is pretty. Uh, ordinary. Um, so, uh, I think, yeah, Ab is absolutely right. If if superpowers like Germany are not, I think, uh, at the best place uh, to win the World Cup, Netherlands perhaps is another team that I like, but I don't know whether we can take them that seriously. England is on the downtrend. Spain, if Spain is one of your only challengers to France from Europe, then uh, Spain is a pretty young and new team. So, yeah, this is a perfect chance then for Brazil and Argentina. Yeah, it would, uh, it's a surprise, you know, generally it would be a surprise that we are taking Germany's name so late into, you know, talking of the uh, teams, but that's how it's been for Germany over the last few years, I guess. And it's, it was also a surprise, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, Marco Rius uh, didn't make it uh, into the squad, but Mario Goetze made it just like the golden goal memory that they taken him for. I don't know. Yeah, good, he is Godzai's, actually having. A... Yeah, Godzai is actually having a good season with Frankfurt. So uh, there, there were suggestions earlier in the week as well before the team was announced that he is likely to make it because he's been one of the shining lights for Frankfurt. Possibly slightly emotionally driven decision as well, but you they know that he can bring the X factor, and I'm not sure, but maybe Hansi Flick was still a staff member at Bayern when. In, in that brief period where Godza was there as well. So, possibly there's a personal connect there as well. But I think Germany is still uh, in the transitional phase between the last cycle and the next cycle. So, it's it's a World Cup probably early for them. Maybe next time's Euros, which is in Germany, might be a more opportune time for them. Yeah. Also, isn't uh, Roy Singer again? Did I see that uh, infographic on our group or some other group? I don't know. I think he has to be the most unlucky player when it comes to being available for international tournaments. Uh, which which group um, stands out as the traditional group of death for you guys? For me, it's uh, the group that Portugal are in. Uh, so, it has Portugal, Uruguay, South Korea and Ghana. Um, uh, I know Uruguay is probably... Not the Uruguay that we have seen in previous years, but it still has the likes of Davin Nunes and Addison Cavani and like <laughs> like some really incredible strikers, a great defense as well. Um, South Korea, with uh, depending on whether Son is playing or not, could also could be a dark horse. And then Ghana, you know, representing the African condition. So that is that is a tricky group for me. Yeah, imagine uh, Luis Suarez's last international kick consigning Portugal to a defeat and uh, eliminating Portugal from the from the group stage and basically enhancing his reputation at the World Cups forever, implanting it in the memory. Um, I mean, taking away any chance of this Messi-Ronaldo final we seem to be talking about. Brazil also don't have a very straightforward uh, group. Uh, Serbia and Switzerland... Traditionally, bit you know defensive or like solid teams to play against who can uh, cause an upset, and then you have Cameroon, of course. I think that will be an exciting uh, game with you know the kind of tradition and the style that Brazil and Cameroon have. I think not a uh, group of death, but a group with a lot of emotions going through it would be England's group because you've got England and Wales. 
and all of us have heard the Michael Sheen uh, speech where he's basically just raised people who are not even Welsh to <laughs> probably want and want to go to war for Wales. Then you've got the US and Iran. So lots of geopolitical battles in, in that group. So that should be a very emotionally charged group. So passions should be flying high and that should make for great viewing, I guess. I'm actually really looking forward to that group. I think there's a lot of weakness across the board on that group. So uh, I think a lot of surprises. Uh, Iran are supposed to be really uh, defensively strong. And I think they've got Carlos Queiroz uh, leading them. So we know what he can do with uh, with his teams. Um, USA, I think they're capable of some some amount of energy, but I don't think they'll, they'll do that well. Uh, Wales is capable of any number of surprises. England, I think, are going to be a little weaker than before. So overall, it should be an exciting group. Okay, so interesting times ahead with the World Cup. We just have this small matter of one more uh, Premier League weekend, which I am not really looking forward to anymore, particularly with the fixture that Chelsea has. But uh, we'll get through that. We'll have a review of that next week. And then we'll get right into the World Cup. It's It's... It's a special World Cup. It's a very different World Cup. And we'll bring lots of in-depth analysis for you guys. Uh, shout out to the listeners and uh, keep interacting with us at Talkie Taka. And uh, shoot us your questions, any comments, anything interesting you find on the cyberspace or anything you find interesting in your favorite teams or your worst teams, whatever. Just let us know and we'll call that out on the podcast episodes as well. So... With that in mind, uh, wish you a good evening, not the Unai Emery kind, and uh, we'll see you again next week. Bye.